You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to In Conversation with. This is a new show at Radio Ramadan involving two couples discussing topical issues. I am Omar Hussain, uh, your host for today. I am joined with my better half, Sidra. Our guest couple today is the famous name Raza, also known as Pops, also known as Papa Bear. And he is joined with his better half today, Shamim Ahmed. And the topic for uh, all our listeners today will be balancing dawah work and family life. If we could just give a brief introduction to our listeners, Pops, we can start with you. Uh, what would you like to know? Who you are at the moment and what, what it is you're doing with yourself just now. Well, today, Matthew, I am Naim Raza. I'm the CEO of One Family. I think I'm a husband and a father as well, but Shmeem can tell you differently. Okay, so um, I'm Shmeem Ahmed, um, well, Raza, married to Naim Raza, and we have two children. Um, I work as a relationship counsellor and also work with people with uh, mental health issues. That's why she married me. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Badges obviously answered one of our first questions there, and it was telling us a bit about your family setup. Is it a five football team or is it 11 aside? No, we're just four. We're a small unit, compact. Don't forget the cats. Oh, we've got six actually. Two cats as well. No, you haven't. You've got six cats? Two cats. <laughs> Although the kids behave like cats as well. <laughs> So the Zen and Mariam and the two cats, Layla and Rani. Who named the cats? Uh, do you know what? I think I, I came up with both the names. I think her name, originally we thought it was a boy and it was Harold. <laughs> and and that, that, that wasn't named by us, but it, he came as Harold. And then when we took him to took her to the wet, we realised that it was Haroldina. So, it was like, so we had to change the name to Layla. It's the only one that... I think looked appropriate at the time. It's like your kids when you give them names, you know, that yeah. you feel they're appropriate names, even though kids sometimes, you know, some kids grow up and think, you know what, I want to change my name, but the cats don't have an option. Alhamdulillah. So, what was life like before you joined Radio Ramadan? I mean, I remember meme consultants. Yeah, I mean, that that came afterwards. Uh, that was a kind of tail end of my involvement at Radio Ramadan. So, life before Radio Ramadan, you know, I was a disc jockey. I set up the first time uh, first daytime Bhangra gigs in Glasgow you know so I've done all that kind of stuff unfortunately um, and then I got into Islam started practicing but to an extreme and I think Shmeem can elaborate on that I think it made life family life very very difficult so what what do you mean when you say to an extreme in practical terms I mean I was suffocated I have to admit at, at some point but initially it made family life very difficult. Everything was haram, television, music. I, I lost my entire music collection, which today, to this day I regret now, from the old days, um, because I've got a very different take on music now. How was that for you, going through that? I think going from, like Naim says, from one extreme to the other, and then, I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, I was, I was happy that he, he was looking into Islam, and he was trying to better himself as well, and us as a family as well but from one extreme to another was very difficult I mean in fact he'd come in switch the TV off you can't, can't um, read these magazines you know throwing them away and get rid of, getting rid of everything that we had like music wise that, that's totally haram and um, even I think he even started growing a beard and, and then he started even I've got a beard now no, but I looked a bit different them days <laughs> No, but what I mean is it was a bit different. And then even his whole, um, you know, the way he dressed. And um, I was just thinking, what's happened to him? He's totally changed. And It sounds like being on different wavelengths. Well, can I just ask at this point that 
Pops has mentioned that he used to do DJing and he was he was into the whole obviously nightlife scene. How was that for you at that point? I mean, were you was was Islam that far from even the family that you didn't we it didn't bother you? We were we weren't married at that time. Oh, you weren't married at that time. All oh, right, okay. But we knew each other at that time, and we kind of lost connection then as well. You know, I think you'll find a lot of uh, young male and female who have been at that extreme. When they first come back to Islam, they go to an extreme as well. Can I maybe just ask what made you come back? What was there something that happened in your life? You know, it was a it was a death of an uncle of mine. It was not long after Zen was born. Zen was born in uh, October, and one of my mom's cousins he died, and uh, somebody wa- couldn't make the funeral the next day, so they wanted to go to the central mosque to look at the body. And I remember the body being pulled out of the fridge. Uh, it wasn't that there was anything wrong with him. He had a heart attack. It was like anybody else that would die in those kind of circumstances. It was just a concept of the body being pulled out of the fridge, and that that really shook me. I remember coming home, having a shower, praying for you that morning, and you know what? That that I haven't looked back. To be honest, yeah, I've made mistakes. It's, that was the day the penny dropped. But I mean, I was I was prior to that. I was on the journey, but this reinforced it. So I think that's where things start to change And it wasn't long after, alhamdulillah I got involved in young Muslims uh, Even though I was quite old for young Muslims But I used to pray my prayers at uh, Stirling Mosque At that time I was working in Stirling So the group there said You know, we've heard about this group in Glasgow Called Young Muslims Sadiq Qayyum, Shahid Qayyum, Nawaz and all these guys So we came out and met them And we set up a Stirling branch And then I set one in Cumbernauld and then as I grew uh, another year down the line got involved in ISB and that's when Radio Ramadan kicked in right so that's what we're coming on to so my next question really was how did Radio Ramadan come about and give us a bit of a history as to how that came about you know at that time obviously we were doing a lot of da'wah work I mean now you know da'wah work people are specialised in different areas at that time ISB was everything to everybody you know they were expecting us to go and crack the bangaras down go and look after the mosques, you know, etc. And unfortunately, the kind of people that were involved in ISP, and even to this day, were quite progressive in their thought, not necessarily liberal, but progressive in thought of how to give dawah. And we'd had uh, um, one of our uh, contacts, Dr. Zahid Parvez, had been in touch with us, say, look, there's a radio Ramadan started in Bradford. You need to go and have a look at this and apply for a license. So I remember Sheikh Amr Jamil, Nawaz Ali, myself, um, Zabair, Mushtaq, Sajid, I mean, I remember the original names. Went to Bradford, had a look at the setup, applied for the license, came back. We had no money, so we actually took money from ISB at 250 quid to apply for the license. <laughs> I even remember the first meeting was at Nawaz Ali's house in in his in his house in Moss Park on, on the on the floor. Amr was there, and, and many of the names. And then, obviously, from there, when we started to broadcast, it was at Tradeston. Uncle Nawaz, may Allah bless him, uh, gave us his old warehouse and we built it up, Hassan Niven and Shazia. So a lot of people have helped in a lot of ways along the way. You know what, That you know, at that time we had hundreds of volunteers, people would jump over themselves to bring iftar, uh, even though the setup was really basic. Pops, where was the first one? Was this the one in the West End? No, this was the one in uh, Tradeston. I can't believe there was one before Arlington Street. Yeah, well, yeah, well before that. There was one in Tradeston for a number of years. And there's no warehouse, very cold. I remember we had to get a blower in. I remember you could hear the toilet being flushed coming through the studio. You could hear it in the background. Uh, I remember people coming in in the hundreds to come and see what we were up to. Were you involved at at that time as well? Uh, no, not so involved at that point, no. No. Just um, watching Naim Raza going crazy at that point, then I take it. Mm-hmm. Well, our children, 
we had Zen at that point, and I think it was the it was 1997. So I don't know how many years we had gone gone into Radio Ramadan, and then Mariam was born. Yeah, and um, I was suffering from postnatal depression as well after Mariam. So I wasn't really involved that much uh, in the radio station, you know, as such. Yeah. Can I just ask at this point, even before Naimbe got involved in Radio Ramadan, his Islamic work, had that already taken shape? Was he already involved in, let's say, maybe Islamic work in whatever form it may have been, whether it was Dawah, whether it was, well, you mentioned ISB. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I I was involved with the kids more, and I think it's about prior prioritizing. And for me, it was the the children and family were, were always number one. So I think I was like, you know, always concerned about the children and about family life. And I know how passionate Nine was when he became into Islam, and he probably wanted to change the world, you know, overnight. So, unfortunately, we were neglected a little bit at the beginning. I would say for for a number of years, um, it was always a meeting after meeting after meeting, and I think even Zen came to know about meetings, um, and I even remember us travelling um, to a wedding. I think it was in Dundee, and um, he even saw, you know, some cows sitting on on the grass or something. He goes, Papa, is that them having a meeting? You know, so so that this is how much the a meeting was just like sitting with people, and you know, so this is the way the children were picking up. Yeah, that meeting, you know, Papa's always at a meeting, you know, so Alhamdulillah, I mean, when I look back, I mean, there's there's a lot of good that's come out of that as well, and I think um, patience and patience and patience is something that I probably will stress, you know, so much that you have to have. Was there a point, though, where you, where you had to sit down and, and pop, so you had that conversation, you know, I would imagine that you would have to have that conversation. Oh, many times. <laughs> Not once. I mean, we're married now 20, 26 years. And I think the first five, five to ten years, maybe more actually, of our marriage was really difficult. Because initially when you get married, obviously there's that initial teething problem and there's understanding. As you said, we were on different wavelengths. I mean, I was out every night. To, you know, to some extent, there was some, there was some benefit because the kids used to come to the... I used to bring them to the meetings with me. So Zen grew up in that YM environment, which was... And it wasn't my intention... But the fact that he was coming, he got to know people, people got to know him, and I, I think it kind of, to some extent, maybe nurtured his, his character. Muddy wasn't as much, because in the, in the later years, things started to balance out a bit. But I always felt, you know what, if I don't go out, who's going to go out? And uh, as much as it was frustrating. And the interesting thing was, when I was disc jockeying, I had a lot of Sikh friends, with, you know, with all due respect, and we used to go out and do all those crazy things. And it wasn't because it was Sikh, they were Sikh, we were just into that, but I used to have a kara as well. Right, so I mean, I was really bought into the whole culture. So when I turned to Islam, people thought this is another one of his phases. So they thought, right, he's been into he's been into Sikhism, he's been out doing all or nothing. He's been he's done all those kind of things. Now he's becoming a Muslim, <laughs> you know. And I love my Sikh brothers because we have so much, in, you know, so many similarities. But we we got up to no good in them days. And then when I came to came to Islam, I was it was all or nothing. My mom always said that to me. She said, you know, when you do bad, you do bad. When you do good, you do good. And you know, there's a beautiful hadith of the Prophet that mentions that those who are, are, are the worst in jahiliyyah can also become the best in dawah. So it was all or nothing at that time. And it was unfortunately, to some extent, to a great extent, uh, the family suffered. But you know what? I think there's been a lot of benefits as to where I am today because I think if I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be here today. Of course not. You wouldn't be here today, no doubt, without the patience of um, your better half. But then on the other hand, 
surely it was also difficult for you as well Pops at times where you're constantly on the road I mean there must have been points where you're sitting there saying really is it worth it is it worth me getting all this aggro at home if I'm on the road constantly doing I mean did that did that did that I'm trying to be, I'm trying to I'm trying to back your corner here Pop you know what that that to be honest I never really thought about that for me the end you know the end result was more important so you were quite tunnel visioned it, it was tunnel vision but I was thinking you know I'm doing this for my family this is going to create a better world but then Shamim Badji had to kind of adjust around about that and maintain it, I suppose. If I, I mean, don't, I, mean I, I just want to be as honest as possible. I mean, don't get me wrong, I did have a lot of resentment as well. And, and, and you know, because I was thinking I was being deprived of, of my husband and, you know, and he's out, he's out all the time. He's not spending enough time even to go out to even go for a meal. He was constantly on the phone. We would eat and have a meal and I'd pay for it or he would pay for it and we'd walk out. We still wouldn't have had a conversation. Yeah, there but not there. But, you know, and then me having to tell him where to go by just signalling, you know, doing hand signs there, you know, because he's on the phone constantly. So, yeah, we've had moments like that. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot, like Naim said, there's a lot of good that's come out of it as well. Um, Even me becoming closer to Islam as well has helped um, me, I suppose, looking at Naim. Uh, I think the changing point for us was when we went to Hajj together. What part of your journey was that in? So it was about five years into the uh, after Zen was born. So I'd been to Hajj the year before my mum, and at that time we were we weren't in a decent relationship. We were having a really tough time. And then we went to Hajj. I remember the night before she said, "I, I don't want to go. I can't deal with this." Yeah. Uh-huh. But you know what? For the first time in our relationship, in uh, eight nine years, we actually spent three weeks on a trip without arguing with each other. It was just such a blessing. Yeah. And cut off from everything else. And even though I was in charge of the group, you know, there was myself and Abdurrahman Habawi, the two of us in charge of a group, it was a small 60-odd people. But I think that trip was a defining moment. It kind of changed that, that, you know, there is a beauty in Islam, there's a beauty in how we can come together. And I think that's where the changing started to happen. There was another twist where kind of things became a bit obscure later on in life. <laughs> so in hindsight, if you were speaking to say it, a couple that, that are on their journey for example we've just been married less than a year now but if you're in hindsight if you were to go back is there anything that either of you would do different knowing the outcome today you know if I was to go back I'll tell you there's two challenges one was you know a lot of the brothers around me and I'm going to say this didn't have the same dedication they were more with the family and that meant people like me and a few others had to kind of take the slack sometimes and you know we had a choice we could equally say you know what forget this I'm off but at the same time one or two of us were also hell bent in saying you know what no matter even if you gave me the time I'm still going to be here so were you a relationship counsellor back then as well no but she was getting she was getting training from me at that time <laughs> that opportunity came across when I actually we, we were both actually in the civil service yeah we both worked we were civil servants and um, I, I took a career break um, because I had to give time to the children as well, of course, and I thought that was the best option. And because at that time they were giving out career breaks, it was good for me. I took the career break and, uh, I, you know, it was fantastic. I mean, I loved spending time with my children and doing things with them. And um, and I don't regret it for one, one moment at all. And I would, I would actually um, say to anybody, any working mother, to if she can, take the time off and spend that with your children because it's really important. Right, I mean, if you can get a career break, it's the best thing that could happen to you. So do you think taking a career break has helped you raise them? Yes, definitely. Um, I was there for them. I mean, I was struggling when I was working because I'd have to pick them up or drop one off somewhere else. And and then one day I I sat at work and I was thinking to myself, what am I doing all this for? 
you know, what benefit is it that I'm getting? And uh, and then I kept thinking about, well, well, I can't get this and I won't be able to get that. But then I thought, that's just materialism. And, you know, I thought about it and I just went downstairs and I said, look, I want a career break. And I'm telling you, I never looked back. It was the best decision I ever made in my life. And do you think that's impacted on, like, the characters of y- your children? Yeah, definitely, because Naim was so busy, you know, with... with the work that he was doing, um, I was able to be there for them, take them to school, bring them back, take them to read Quran, and then other activities that followed. Then YM was a big thing as well for them. You know, like you know, just keeping them, you know, occupied, knowing where they were, taking them where they were going. So I, I was, uh, I was probably a lot, you know, with the children, you know, involved with them so much. Before we move on, really, and before we go into where your career sort of taken and where where you're at just now, was there any other voluntary work you were doing at that time other than ISB, Radio Ramadan? Radio Ramadan. Those were the main things. I think the question is probably, was there anything that you weren't involved in? (laughs) (laughs) That's more appropriate. Yeah, that's more appropriate. You know, the only thing I wasn't involved in was a mosque, to be honest. Was there a reason for that, or was that was that by choice, or? You know what? I think at that time, and even today, I think the mosques were scared of us. I'll be very frank. Is that because of the progressive vision? I think the fact that we were quite progressive, we were quite dynamic, we had new ideas, and people found that threatening. Uh, and they weren't bad ideas. We weren't like you know, you know, everything's halal now or something. We didn't. We weren't really into fiqh as such. Just the fact that we had, and you know, power is a is a dangerous thing, and so people had issues with that. And we weren't into power. We were doing it for the the right intention. Alhamdulillah. And we always knew their intention. We were also going through our study circles regularly. It wasn't just like we're activists. I mean, there's a lot of activists out there that don't have any founding. They don't have a good ground base of what Islam's about. But we were having that on a regular basis. We were studying under individuals. We were teaching younger people. We were away on weekend training regularly. I mean, although that might mean something totally different nowadays, right? <laughs> um, so I think, you know... Other than being involved in the mosque, I think we were literally everything to people outside Radio Ramadan, lectures, um, new ideas, uh, study circles, young Muslims, football, you know, all the rest of it. There was a lot going on at that time. And then on top of that was work. I suppose then came the decision, or tell us really how it came about then that you decided to take the leap essentially from doing voluntary work to now what seems to be a full-time job. Yeah, so what happened was at that time, I remember Nawaz being approached by the NHS to do a training course on how to look after the Muslim patient. And it wasn't technical, it was just about male-to-male, female-to-female, what to eat, not etc. He said, look, I, I saw it was initially for Kanda Chaudhry's father, May Allah bless him, he's passed away since then. He was the start of my journey, subhanAllah, may Allah. He will have get the reward of everything I'm doing. And he said, look, I'm very unwell. I know somebody else. So he passed it on to Nawaz. Nawaz said, look, I can put the course together, but I can't deliver it. I know somebody who can might do both of them. So they came to me and I said, look, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I went to the, the NHS and it was, a, it was a day's training course on different religions and how they look after people from the different faiths. And fortunately for me, my presentation was on PowerPoint. We had a pack around Islam and Muslims. Because of my disc jockeying days in religion, Ramadan, I knew how to engage with people. And because of my civil service career, I'd done a lot of training courses for people. I knew how to present myself and, and, and the subject. The other speakers, with all due respect, wonderful as they are, they were kind of still a bit behind in their presentation skills, although they're very passionate about their faith, obviously. And my evaluations are starting to stick out quite a lot. And uh, somebody, Imran Sharif, if you're listening out there, he said, look, man, you, you know what you're doing. You need to set this up a professional company. So I did. But what I used to do at work was I would still try, I, I would obviously do most of the work to try and get people to come on a training 
training course. So I set up a private training course around how to look at what was Islam, who were the Muslims, and how to deal with them. And people start to book in the course. Myself, Imran, Mazar Khan, who's here now. Mazar's part of this journey. Farkhanda, I mean, her, her children, her grandchildren are involved nowadays. Four of us set up a training course, and it, it went through the roof. People loved it. People start to book on the course. And then I said to the three of them, I said, look, you know what? It's time. One of us has to take some time out and make this happen. So I basically sold the idea to ISB. I said, look, fund me and let me run this and I'll bring a profit back to the organization. And alhamdulillah, for two years, myself, Maza, Imran, Farkhanda, we all got involved and many other people. Uh, and we brought back in the people who were doing the race religion from the other faiths and got them involved as well and gave them this, the skills and ideas of how to engage with the, uh, with the audience. And we set up a fantastic cause. One was on Islam and Muslims. The other was on different race and religions. Before we knew it, it was, it was starting to make money. People were paying to learn about Islam or about Christianity, about Judaism. So after three months of having business in the bank, I left the civil service to a career break. Set the company up. Maza was a bus driver. I said, listen man, you're, you're intelligent. Come on board. Forget these buses. So Maza came on board. We had a small office at Arlington Street and we actually took on Radio Ramadan, running Radio Ramadan as well as part of our thing and the advertising and everything. And uh, and the rest is hit. I mean, that was the starting point for three years we ran it. We did Eden the Drive, the first ever Eid festival in, Scot- in Glasgow, in Scotland. And that was because there were issues in our community. Young people didn't know what to do on the day. So we got the council, the police, everybody involved. Um, so that era, things started to settle a little bit I think at home it was more of a routine now I was doing most of my dawah work in my work rather than having to go out every evening as well there was your travel to deliver a training course but things were a bit balanced then I think so when I hear from Shamim Baj when do you think that shift took place for you what part of family life were you in I mean uh, I think in, I might have to disagree here now uh, I don't remember that that transition taking place as you get older the memory just starts to die in it I don't remember it so clearly then but I think over the past three years now, you know, I can say is that right now? Last three years, things are, are a lot, I think, balanced. Uh, Naim spends a lot of time, you know, at home. Well, he does come home. How did you get the name Papa? Oh, you know what? I think it was uh, when I was presenting Kids on Air, and I remember Shaquille Ali, he had a I mean, I, I was quite overweight in them days. You meant to say you've lost weight, Papa. Um, so he, so he, he put on a picture of Pavarotti, the opera singer. And that's where it came from. And the word Papa started from there. I think that was it. I think that was like, well, yeah, it was a fir- I think it was a f- during the first transmission. Did you know Omar? That's why you were calling him Papa? Ah, well, listen, no, I'm definitely going to call him Papa. Papa Pops has been there all those years. Alhamdulillah. So at any point in this journey, was there a point where, Shamim Baji, you were involved with Pay? I started my own journey then with what am I going to do? The children were getting older didn't need me as much and I didn't want to go back to doing what I was doing was working in with the bank and then Amina was always Muslim Women's Resource Centre was always like there I always wanted to know more about Amina they managed to get some funding to have nine Muslim women trained as counsellors the first nine Muslim counsellors nobody was I thinking about doing anything like that um, I was thinking about going to do the Costco first but my friends encouraged me and they said look you, you are very good at listening to people and, and people like to talk to you and you can do it so so they kind of pushed me to do it. I went for the interview and they said, yes, we won't take you on. So alhamdulillah, they funded me and the other eight uh, women as well to do this course in relationship counselling. Okay, so there was a lot going on individually in both of your careers. Yeah, uh-huh. And even at that time, may I say, it wasn't the best of times to go into doing that course because of we had a lot of issues going on in our own personal life. So I would say that that was probably the most challenging time for me was doing that. Uh-huh. So like you... you but that was good training. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> 
no comment. That's it. That's best. That's what I advise you. Like you said earlier, so you were you were looking after the family unit at that point. So how did you then balance doing the course with looking after the family unit? Alhamdulillah, it was you know it was made so easy for us Muslim women that you know the 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 people that were training came to us in Amina and we did have to go the odd time maybe once a month to the offices in, in Glasgow we didn't even have to go away from home I and mean, it was part time as well that's another thing so it didn't really make a big difference to the family life as such just the going back to studying was kind of like for me it was like oh this is I can't do this you know that was the hardest part and then uh, obviously with Naim not being around and then a lot of things that we were discussing in the course related to obviously your own personal life so it was a lot of self-discovery a lot of things I learnt about myself as well so did that change your approach in any way or yes it did cause a lot of issues I guess you know because I started to analyse Naim a lot more did Badji start to use her techniques when oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. So that was a bit. That was a bit scary. Thinking, oh my goodness me, why have I put her on this course? I'll let her do this, you know. How much? How much badge can I? If you don't ask, obviously Nainbe was was away. He's a lot. He's busy. He's doing his thing. How much did overall did your family or your friends play in your life at that point? Oh, alhamdulillah. You know, I must. Um, well, I always thank my family for being there because they were only about five minutes away from me. And if I needed them, in fact, my mum helped me a lot, and so does so did Dime's family as well. In all honesty, they, I mean, they they helped as well, looking after when I was at work. They were looking after Murray. My mum was looking after Zen. So fortunately, where I worked, it was only five minutes away from home, so I could go and see Zen at lunch breaks and whatever. So that was good. And yes, the family did help me a lot. My answer to that is they did help me a lot. I don't think I could have got anywhere without my family, to be quite honest. You know, so they did help me. So a good support system for you. Yeah, yeah, it was really good support for me. Definitely. And pops, in terms of where you're at today with work, I mean, how much, in terms of your your work and balancing your your work with your family life, how much travelling are you doing? First of all, I mean, I still travel every week. I've been doing that since 2008. You know, we could have moved to London, we could have bought something there, but you know what? It's a breath of fresh air coming back to Glasgow. And London, to be honest, you know, you could end up working for the rest of your life trying to, you know, pay your, pay your way, so to speak. So I took that decision consciously not to not to move down and have the flexibility. So all along the way since 2008, I've made sure that whatever I was doing, there was a chance to come back home. So just now, you know, we normally even on a Monday, come back on a Friday, stroke Saturday, unless I'm on a tour, which could be a bit longer. But in my new position as a CEO of a charity, the chances of being away at the weekends is very negligible unless I'm abroad. But yeah, the travel's still there. And it's good, you know, because I think it's helped my kids not to be afraid to travel. Because Zen's always, you know, he's pretty keen to get out and pick the car up. I'm going to Manchester, I'm going X, Y, and Z. Marine's the same. So that's a good thing, because I know this, th- th- there are children out there and families that they can't engage outside their home city. And I think we're, we're quite fortunate that the children have built up a, a, a character that they can travel. They can hopefully try something different and, and follow in the footsteps. But there's a lot of things that we've learned that Inshallah will teach teach them in, in their married lives as well. So I have a question for you. So you were doing voluntary work. When did you decide to take that leap and make it your full-time job? Yeah, so those those one, once I set the training company up, and I had three months business in the bank. That's when myself, Mazar, and a few others decided to take it on full time. We did three years, eating the drive twice, got headhunted by Islamic Relief, and uh, that was me to London. And I spent two years at Islamic Relief and then went to consultancy work. And at the same time, I got picked up by Islam Channel. So there's three things happening in life. Islam Channel, consultancy work in the charity sector, because I've done, you know, alhamdulillah, very, very fortunately, I had a very good experience at Islamic Relief. And then on top of that, there were events coming up, hosting events here, fundraising there, doing it. 
and that there were three elements then and obviously when it was your own business you're doing your own thing i had to be on top of it so the family was had at that time unfortunately had to give but alhamdulillah that you know the, the rewards were there you know we we obviously we were in a different financial position at that time as well and it was down to the hard work and you know without a doubt the patience of this woman sitting next to me <laughs> How was the transition from from radio to TV? Tell us, was it a big jump? Was it a big thing? Oh, Has there been highlights? Was that you know? Fortunately, because I'd done stuff on the stage before, and I actually got spotted on stage by one of the charities who worked at Islam Channel. It wasn't very difficult. And the good thing was that I brought something into the market that wasn't there. There were other presenters, they, and they, they all had a similar style. And now somebody was coming in, and you know, we've all got our own style. What was different about your style? No, you know what? I think we all have a different style, how we present things, how we where it comes from, uh, and not to say that others didn't. We just had a different style, and I was just something somebody different at that time. And now, you know, if I look around me, there's other presenters that are different, and and every presenter that comes in the market has something different. And I w- I was one person that after a long time, not a monopoly necessarily, there'd been the similar kind of presenters. That suddenly, somebody different was coming, a Scottish voice for the first time. That made a big difference. Different experiences, and on all those things, you know, m- make you who you are. How much is it? How much has it helped you to do the work that you're involved in? Uh, you get in the exposure in terms of people knowing who you are. Oh, it's been phenomenal. I mean, being recognised in the street and things is just, just crazy. How is that? How is that for you, Shmi Maji, when when people recognise Nainpai on the street? I, I really don't like the you know the whole being in the spotlight. I'm probably the ex- opposite of Nain when it comes to things like that. I mean, I'll tell you, I was at I was at a restaurant one night. Right, and uh, and I ordered some food and went and sat down waiting for the food to come. And the guy walked over with the food. He said, "Look, I don't recognise your face, but I recognise your voice. You're from Islam Channel, aren't you?" I was like, "Oh my god!" And then I remember somebody else I met, and he said, "You know what? There's something ringing in my head. It's saying, and my name is Naim Raza. Is that you?" I'm like, and you know, so the voice as well, because it's Scottish, is a little bit different from the other presenters. That kind of played a part. Yeah, look, you know what, without a doubt, Islam Channel has a... Ma- and look, Radio Ramadan's the same. There's many a time that myself and other presenters that have been here, alhamdulillah, have walked out and people recognise your voice. Uh, and with Islam Channel, it was a combination of voice and, and obviously appearance. And, you know, I ended up doing Street Challenge, uh, which to this day is running. It's my fifth series now. People love that, you know, asking non-Muslims what... And, and it brings people together about what Islam's about. And then the live appeals. And then, you know what, in the first year of my presenting on Islam Channel, myself and Raheem Jung ended up going to perform Hajj Life. That was that was a pinnacle for us. I mean, that was like you know a presenter presenting the World Cup or the Olympics. That that just was the the height within such a short span. And then we got our own show, living the life, uh, the Ramadan appeals. I mean, I remember nearly th- out of the three years of the last five years, I think I did nearly every night. There was like twenty, thirty nights, and you know you'd go to sleep at five or six in the morning, get up at four or five in the afternoon, back to the studio and, and on again. So yeah, it was it was crazy. But yeah, alhamdulillah, a, a blessing. Got to know a lot of people around the country. Uh, and that's where you start to understand what the community is really about. So, do the kids find it cool when when their dad gets gets stopped and recognised? Well, unfortunately, they're now that that age that they don't really travel with us so much. Okay. That's what's happened. I think Zen probably and Mariam. I think they do. I mean, but I think they just they're actually okay about it. Yeah. They're, they're quite they're quite used to it. Yeah, they're quite. I mean, yeah. Really, I mean, what was really cool, right? I remember one day <laughs> Zen came home and said, "Some of my friends want to meet you." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I remember one of it. I remember, yeah, I remember once he said, "Dad, one of my friends says I, I wish my dad was like yours." Yeah. Like, oh man, that's so cool, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me this. Obviously, then you've got to a point now. So you, you're alhamdulillah, you're at a stage where you might be comfortable. And 
no doubt things Alhamdulillah as Badger said have settled down at home as well what advice would you have to those that are out there who may be in a position where they are out and they're given a lot of time to dawah work or doing charity work but at the same time their family may be getting neglected first of all uh, from, from a male perspective from your perspective uh, Nine Pops look you know what I think if it wasn't for my extended family mm-hmm. on, on both sides of the fence and friends and Shmeen being the patient woman she was we wouldn't be here today I'll be very frank you know dawah begins at home but sometimes, sadly, men and women end up doing dawah at home and nowhere else. We have a responsibility to our neighbors, to our community. So there has to be a balance. You know, if you look at the life of the Prophet ﷺ, how much time did he spend at home? He spent it, but he wasn't at home 24 hours a day. So some of us think, you know what, my family is my responsibility and that's the end of it. I'm sorry, but you're part of society. As Muslims, we are global citizens. We have to play a part in wherever we live. Especially now, if you look at what's happening around us, we have to get out there. So there is that fear that people suddenly become inclusive in their own house and think this is it. I don't agree with that. There has to be a balance. So if I was to turn the clock back, without a doubt, I think I would have, you know... And I remember going to a lecture once, and some of the sisters were complaining to the sheikh, saying, you know, sheikh, the, our brothers, they never spend any time at home. And he said, this is terrible. Brothers, you must spend at least one evening at home a week. <laughs> right? So I think there has to be a balance. It's a tough act, but at the same time, whatever you do, do it with the intention that it's going to create a better world for your children. Because if you don't do it, who is going to do it? Because otherwise, somebody else is going to create the world for us. And we're going to end up in a very different situation. So I think there has to be a balance. And, you know, I said, without family and friends and and the support that I've had, I certainly wouldn't be here today. Has there been any time in the journey where you've come close to giving in? For example, when things were tough and you couldn't balance them. Obviously, now they're a lot better. But has there been any point that you can remember that stood out to you that you thought, is it really worth it? Or were you that driven towards the cause that you didn't? You know what? And sadly, (laughs) sadly, I never really thought about that. I was just constantly driven. And then obviously once in a blue moon, Shmeen would have to pull me in and say, listen, I've had enough. (laughs) And remind me what my responsibilities were. And then other people would remind me as well. So I'm glad that those people were there because then we'll try and rebalance the books a little bit. And we're at a stage now, I think the last few years, particularly where work has settled, the drive. Now for me, my drive is more about trying to help other people around me, younger people, and and get them on, and people who need the experience. So I'd I'd rather leave that kind of legacy behind rather than just me running around going crazy. I'd rather train other people and and get them going. So yeah, there wasn't a time where I thought, you know what, what on earth am I doing? And it was trying to find my forte and I found that at the age of 40 you know subhanAllah you know and, and, and that was an era that 10 years ago I thought, realized what, what it was going to be until then I, you know I didn't really have a clue I failed at university I had no idea what I was going to end up doing and so everything I've learned has been self-taught it's just been part of the journey I didn't go on to Islam Channel looking to present they spotted me the charity sector spot you know it was, it, there was never a plan and even now there's not a plan so you know if you ask me what we're going to do tomorrow I have no idea well that, that is that is one of our questions as, as individuals what, what are your future plans you know I've just taken on this position as CEO at One Family which is again it's a new type of charity it's a, it's a new area of work it's something that hasn't been done for done before I think the next two years are going to be there at least and after that I don't know uh, come back to Glasgow and do something I, I don't know I really don't know life is full of twists and turns I'll ask the question so the listeners know what we're referring to we'd, we'd asked um, Pops what's it like from the perspective of his side of things whereby if you are what advice would you have for people out there if they're involved in dawah work they're out there doing charity work maybe 24-7 and it's affecting their families and they're not home much what advice he would have and obviously we've heard his perspective so now to ask Badge from the wife's perspective or the other half um, for someone who's home and your partner is out there 24-7 or they're involved in a lot of charity work what advice A would you have for them for the people that are maybe away from home 
should they keep something in mind and also for the wife's perspective how should they be dealing with things yeah um i mean i agree with what i'm saying there has to be a balance and there has to be and if you're a married couple like you two are a newly married couple not been that long and the first year is always the hardest and then you know once you get through that i think things can once you get to know each other a little bit better living with another person's um, always difficult as well i would say you need to also look at your relationship as well as a married couple and you know what are, what brought you together why what what brought you together as a couple and then what do you need from each other i think you need to sometimes even sit down and think okay what do you want out of life okay yes there's islam and you want to change the world that's fine you know you know how are you going to balance that how are you going to give your wife time and how are you going to bring up your children i think these are all the kind of things that all couples should think about and i'm not saying don't do dawa work i mean yes you have to do it but there has to be a balance and you have to also respect you know that you've got your married and your wife needs time as well inshallah when you have children you know they have a right over you as well so it's just about balancing everything that's your told pops in a roundabout way can i just ask sorry i think we've missed this part but have you involved the the family in terms of dawa work i know i know zen does quite a bit doesn't he yeah i mean look shmeem and i th- there came a point when we were doing things together we would attend lectures seminars and uh, events etc and uh, obviously she's got her own stuff going on zen got involved in young muslims radio ramadan living islam so he's done a lot of marim got involved in 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 that way as well and obviously you know allowed them to take their own kind of journey not force them into it they've come along they've seen it they've been involved so i think that's grounded them both as good in, you know solid individuals and they've got a good group of friends and and that to be honest wasn't really much of an input for myself other than them coming to what i was doing i think shmi and the you know the extended family have to take credit for that but i hope that the journey that they came on when they came to the meetings right or they came to living islam when i mean i remember living islam got tooth or 10 years ago the first one when they came down and we were just young kids and i remember them falling asleep in the back of the car because i was doing security and i dad no one to be with you and they'd fall asleep and then zen ended up being one of the main security guys marim was on the t- you know so they evolved in that same kind of area radio ramadan zen was here for the last couple of years marim was here at some point as well young muslims and now they're obviously doing other things and he's involved in one of the local mosques so yes slowly they definitely have been involvement and even now in the charitable sector you know they both done stuff as well but I've allowed them to take their own journey now i mean they're, they're old enough can I also to say that you know, just like you two could be someone else's role models as well for other young people that are looking up to you and you could be an inspiration for them like um, i have to men- mention musab right funny you say that because i was telling my wife just last night yeah because musab mashallah you know and Allah bless him I think for Zen he was just his role model he loved that boy and you know and I think you know Zen going to the circle I think he learned a lot from him and and I think the way Zen is I think it is thanks to ISB as well and YM because I don't think he would have been what he is today as well not just with my help my family and name as well I think with the people around him as well and that's really important as well who your friends are and who who you associate with the company is very important because i made sure that i knew where my children were going who their friends were so that's important as well you know so definitely definitely and as parents i take it you would then encourage you know for parents out there to make sure i mean how young or how how old would you say that children should become involved in this sort of thing whether it's attending ym or whether it's involved in some sort of charity work i mean look look if if as parents you've got good company you've got good friends your children should be involved from day 
not just because you have to go to a study circle, it's because of the people that you mix with. So as a, as a parent, as an individual, you should have good friends around you in the first place. That's the first thing the Prophet said about, you know, your friends are who you are. You know, if you don't have good company yourself, you can't expect your children to have good company. So if you're in good company, your children will automatically be in good company. And it doesn't have to be a formal circle or a, a, an activity. Just by mixing with those families, naturally it's going to evolve. So don't stand there and, and think, take a... You know, okay, you can take a, a decision to say, I'm going to get my kids involved. You have to be involved. You have to be part of that journey as well. It's no point in having your kids there, or oh, my kid goes to the mosque, but I'm, I'm doing something totally different. You know, what's the point of that? What are you leaving behind? What are you doing for yourself? So the family unit has to engage with good people. And if we all do that, you know, we're in, we're in a different society. And also, can I just mention that our niece actually just started as well. Zaina Raza, well, she started, and that was again because her mum was looking for something for Zaina to do to occupy her time. And the first thing that came up to me was Radio Ramadan. I said, why not volunteer? Uh, it's a great place to make friends as well. Yes, uh-huh. and she's already, she came over to her house last night and she was saying, I love it. She said, it's brilliant. I think uh, the, the point where you mentioned about role models is definitely key. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Growing up, my mum used to send me, I remember I was very young, I was just in mosque those days, and it was in the West End, it wasn't in Tradeston. But I remember I used to run up the stairs with maybe a tray with a cake or samosa or bakori, whatever it may be, and literally I'd be joining a queue of people who were dropping off um, iftar at that time. And you'd be looking into the studio to see people like um, Pops or you know other brothers that were around that time. And genuinely, those are the people you looked up to from a young, you know, from a young age. And you used to think, right, when I get a bit older, I want to be in that studio. You know, then the effect and the impact it can have is, is definitely great. And you see that now in our volunteers. They start off helping with reception. They then move up to desk. And then you see them going on to presenters. And you can see the excitement for them as well. And it's nice because it's almost as if you relive when you did it and you were as excited as them as well. So Going slightly off topic, Pops, can I just ask you one question? I know we're just maybe coming towards the end of things, but in terms of you, you're someone that's involved in Dawah, you're involved in charity, you're involved in... Is there any... I would like to take the opportunity to, to, to speak to people that are out there who may be thinking about getting involved in charity work or Dawah or any sort of voluntary work who may be sitting on their home on their couch and they're sick of doing 95 life and they're thinking to themselves, do you know what, I want to get out there, I want to do something that might make some sort of a difference. Is there somewhere to go and start? Is there something... Is there an area that may be lacking? You know, I think the first thing is that people need to renew their intention as to why they want to do it. That, that's, that's the key thing to everything in our lives. Why do you want to do it? If you want to do it so you can stand on a stage or get your voice in radio, there's a problem, yeah. right? These are things that you should naturally fall into because you're good at them. So people who should be on stage or on the, on the people that can do it, there are some of us that have to do the research. Some of us have to do the preparation. Some of us have, so, you know, you have to be ready to play in a team and because all these sectors are about, about a team. Second thing is to have the spirit because once the spirit dies, it's game over. But definitely, you know, life is not about Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. It's not about making money. And that's what I said. You know, there's no point in sitting there thinking, oh, I need my son to, you know, get involved in young Muslims when you yourselves are not doing anything. So as a parent, as a family, you need to be engaged uh, and get out there. I liked that. It was like lead by example. So if you're at, if your surroundings are good and you're already, if you're involved in charity, or your kids are going to grow up thinking that that's, that's life. Very much so. And if you're sitting there, you know, listening to this show or Radio Ramadan generally, and you're not doing anything, this is a great place to start. Come here, you know, the charities are here, individuals are here, you know, it's a community hub, get involved with what's going on, find out what's going on, and do something. And then, you know, you might try a number of different things, and, and then you find something that's close to your heart, and you work with that. But do something, because it's not just about the family, it's not just about Monday to Friday, 9 to 5 work. You, your family, work. there has to be a balance, but you also have a responsibility to the community and people around you, whether they're here in this country, whether they're abroad, we have to do something beyond just for ourselves. 
And I think exactly as you said earlier on, what summed it up for me was, what legacy are you leaving behind? Yeah, you know what you're leaving behind. So, when you um, think about legacy, I remember the, the early years when we started off and... Uh, You know, people like Baba, Imran Sab, and names like that who listen to Radio Ramadan and uh, this at home said, you know what, we can't sit at home, we have to go out and do something. And uh, they came on board and they left behind some phenomenal memories and legacies. Baba, mashallah, I love for the Quran. And we've still got recitations. And uh, he did a fantastic series. I remember one year on the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Brilliant man, even to this recording somewhere. And the passion was there. But you know him, Nadim Iqbal, many other names like that, who because of Radio Ramadan, they got involved. They not only left behind a legacy, but some of them are creating a legacy to this day. So, you know, what is it that you're going to leave behind? What you, your family, who <laughs> and there's also um Malak, a few names like that over the years Uncle Salim from uh, Kohinoor restaurant who was fantastic supporter of Radio Ramadan so all these people got off their sofas and said you know what we're going to do something and they came they did it so be like them be like people that are going to leave behind a legacy and make it about more than yourself make it about people around you Alhamdulillah, very inspiring words and, and touching words. Jazakallah, inspiring words for our listeners, um, for our families who no doubt will hold on to them dearly. Just really closing off then with you, Shimon Baj, is there anything then, uh, lastly, well first of all we should really ask, is there anywhere you see yourself going in terms of doing work and being involved in, in any sort of project or, or work in, in, in particular, or just future plans in general? I think just now, um, life is good, alhamdulillah. I'm really enjoying life now. I've got my husband back, you know, <laughs> so um, we're spending a lot of time together, and I, I value time a lot. And I think it's important for family. I, I mean, I love my family. I love, you know, the family life. I think it's just spending time with my husband, kids. We've got two cats now, and I have to admit, I do love going back. I do love going back to London every Monday morning. I hope Naimba, you're making up for missing out on date nights. We try. You know, 20 years ago when we started out, after the first year, I remember Baba and a lot of guys listened to the station, and they came. They said, "You know what? We want to get involved." And we set up a study circle. There's 55 people turned up. I remember, and then we slowly set them up to small units. So Baba, Subhanallah, the love for the Sira and the Quran, Mashallah. So he set up. He he did a recording for me on the reflection show. It was, it was the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We still have the recording somewhere. He used to love Quran, learning it, teaching it as well. And then Imran Sabra. I remember Imran, Subhanallah, the first time he phoned me when Twilight Zone. And initially, his first call, people thought it was a hoax call because he had a voice issue, right? And then I, I was sitting there and Shoka and Rehan and all these guys are sitting around and said, listen, hold on, I think this is real. This guy is real, it's not a joke, it's how I get on, right? And right enough, it was Imran, he had it. And so after that particular year, we actually set up a study circle at Imran's house. So he could be part of it rather than him having because he had disability issues, he couldn't come out. So we made sure he was part of it. And he used to phone in every single show, alhamdulillah. So Baba Rehan and then Uncle Salim, as I mentioned, you know, and Etta Shamal Haq was one of the first presenters here. Sadly died of a, um, uh, died very, very young, early 20s. And I think it was in the first couple of years of 
um, Radio Ramadan. And then Salim Chaudhary, you know, as I said, you know, his family, mashallah, was involved quite heavily. So these are people who listened to Radio Ramadan, got up and said, we're going to do something about this. We're going to do something about ourselves and our family. And I remember the first study circle Baba set up at your house, you know, his house. And he got all the girls together because mashallah, in your family, there's a lot of girls. Right? And even them, even they said to me, Abba name, we remember the first day you came to our house 20 years ago. And subhanAllah, so, you know, get up and do something. You know, there's a balance, but you know what? The balance is not just within your four walls. The balance is outside there. There's a community out there, and it's not just about being Muslim. It's about our non-Muslim neighbors, whether they're Hindu, Sikh, Christian, whatever they might be, even people of no faith. We have to go out there and do something. Whatever comes to, whatever feels close to our heart, whether it's, you know, helping in the charitable sector, whether it's engaging in interfaith work, whatever it is, get up and do something about it and leave behind a legacy. Simple. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.